Hello and welcome back to Vox Popularum, the Vox Popcast. I am Chris Maverick, your host. I'm here again with my co-host, Wayne Wise. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm here again, too, with my co-host, co-host Mav. <laughs> <laughs> and this time our guest is, I'm going to try it, Christopher Jean-San. Um, Sure, sure. It's like the Frenchified Johnson. <laughs> It's a pleasure to be. I will keep trying that. <laughs> so, yeah, Chris, I, I met, I don't even remember who I met you through, um, but basically on the on the internet, on Facebook, amongst comic book and media scholars, um, we just had some friends in common, and every once in a while, I, I don't remember if you friended me first or the other way around, but I find that you say interesting things from time to time, so I... <laughs> So I added you. Yeah, and I think I had first run into um, your one of your presentations at the Pop Culture Association. Ah, yeah, um, a couple couple years ago or so, and we saw we saw Batman versus Superman together. Oh well. yes, yeah, yeah, that was. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of nostalgia, yeah, because that and that was. That, I mean that that is going to go into the conversation that we have today. Yeah, uh, we mentioned PCA last week because um, we had John Dorowski on. Remember last week when we talked about our first podcast? Wasn't that wonderful? We should go back to that. <laughs> yeah, we should go back and we should do this all the time. Yeah, <laughs> just feeling nostalgia. Uh, <laughs> Well, that is the topic for this time. I, um, the um, the idea of this show is that we have a combination of a regular roundtable, academic roundtable, and the kind of conversation one might have in a bar or a comic book shop. Wayne and I do this literally every week. Today is Wednesday as we record, which means we did this a couple of hours ago when I stopped in to get my books. <laughs> it's true. We either annoy or interest other customers <laughs> as we talk about some random topic and that's the show here so we're so this show is based on i went and saw a couple weekends ago i saw ready player one which is the definition of nostalgia porn i had never read the book um i own the book i have the kindle book and i kept telling myself i'm gonna read this i'm gonna read this and then like any good professional english major when the movie was coming out i made an excuse for myself i said well this isn't part of my dissertation and if i were to read the book it would only spoil the movie so i opted to not read it i will go back and read it at some point but, you know why would i want to ruin a good movie for myself by you know read so and I have not yet read the book, even at this moment. I'm at the opposite end of that. I have not seen the movie. I read the book when it came out a couple of years ago or whenever it was. And I'm, I'm at the point. I, I still haven't seen the film and I haven't read the book either. So I've heard plenty about both, but haven't, haven't actually read or seen. So I'm coming in totally fresh. Yeah, and, and that's fine. Cause, cause, yeah, the podcast isn't really about Ready Player One. It's more of a jumping off place. Mm -hmm. Right, right. So so if you haven't seen the movie or read the book, don't worry, you don't have to turn things off. We are not going to spoil it because the only thing that I wanted to mention about Ready Player One is you can tell from the trailers, from the cover of the book or the movie poster that the basic concept of Ready Player One is that it's about nostalgia and nostalgia is very big in definitely in movies today. I would argue it's also big in television and even comic books and books. I think nostalgia is very big today. And some people say that, well, that's all we ever do. All we all we do in yeah. you know, the last five, six years is everything is just a rehash of something else. Mm -hmm. And I started thinking about it and I said, well, 
Maybe it was always that way. One thing that I started doing when I did my movie review of Ready Player One, I sat down and I said, well, what kinds of nostalgia are there? And I, I came up with there are three types that I argued. I said, there's the Easter egg hunt, and that's what Ready Player One is. Ready Player One, if you, again, no spoilers, but if you understand the basic premise of the movie, um, they they hang out in this virtual reality land, play this video game called the Oasis, and it is a massive online multiple, multiplayer experience where they all engage in games and in pop culture that is very reminiscent mostly of the 80s and 90s because that's when the guy who wrote the book was paying attention. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I mean, it's very much for people of a certain age. These are the things that I grew up with. So you might see things like the like the the DeLorean from Back to the Future. You might see um, there's references to Akira in it. There's the, the the in the film. There's the the Iron Giant. There, you know, there's lots of these references to just things from the past. Street Fighter, Ninja Turtles, um, Battletoads, which I don't know who remembers <laughs> that, but okay. <laughs> the, the, the book was absolutely full of old arcade video games. Uh, the the old arcade style video games. Just references to. Tons of those. Some of the earliest console games for the home as well, as well as there was some music stuff wrapped up in it. Yeah, and just from the trailer, you can see that that's what the whole the whole film is about, right? That's what it's setting right. up. No, it was just my my reaction when I read the book was I and I was I was a teen in the late seventies, so I was a little bit older than than some of the people experiencing this stuff in the eighties. But I'm a perpetual adolescent in in spirit, so I continue to experience this stuff. And my experience reading the book was I thoroughly enjoyed it while I was reading it. I have no idea if it was a good book or not. Uh, My experience was purely based on, oh, cool, I remember playing that game. And that happened kind of on every page to some degree or another. And that triggered these pleasure centers of memory and the good times I had playing Mm -hmm. this weird game. But I got done with the book and I had no idea if, if I had no connection to any of those ideas or those things, if there was anything in the book I would have related to or found interesting at all. Yeah, that's why I called the first type of nostalgia that I wanted to talk about. I called the Easter egg hunt. I, in, again, no spoilers. I actually kind of enjoyed the movie. Was it the best movie ever? No. Was it the worst movie ever? No. It was, it was a couple of hours of me sitting down and having a good time because the point of the movie isn't the plot. It's really not the character development. The point of the movie, and I imagine the book, is you're supposed to there's an episode of south park called the member berries you're supposed to watch ready player one and you're supposed to go oh i remember that oh oh yeah i, I remember that too i played that game and then every once in a while you see something and you go i don't know what that is but i'm going to google it when i get home that's the game ready player one the film is more a game of can i spot this thing than it is a story there is a story but it doesn't matter as much and the reason i think that is is because i don't think that the film would work on the same level. It would be kind of okay, but it wouldn't be great if they used all fictional references. If it was just, if it was a story about these people in essentially the matrix, they're in, you know, they're in this virtual reality world and they were playing, you know, eat man instead of Pac-Man. You kind of go, eh. and if they drove like, a time traveling instead of a time traveling DeLorean, if it were a time traveling, um, I don't know, Miata, <laughs> you go, that's not quite right. I don't know. And and I and I don't think the, the film would would have been as good as opposed to a film which might use nostalgia. It's not a film, it's a television show, uh, but 
we'll talk about in a moment, we'll talk about Stranger Things. Mm -hmm. Stranger Things, I think, works on every level as, as a television show, as a story, even if I don't know what Ghostbusters are, if I don't get the Stephen King references, I, if I don't, if I'm not enough of an X-Men fan to understand anything that Dustin says, <laughs> or if I, you know, and, or if I, or if I'm, you know, if I don't know these things, I think I still enjoy Stranger Things. In fact, my wife is not as big a pop culture junkie as I am, but she loves that show. She gets some of the references. And you know, when they say something about comic books or Dungeons and Dragons that she doesn't know, she just doesn't care. And it's fine. I, I think they tread that balance really well of you know, the information, the nostalgia stuff they touch. It's real stuff for those who know it. But there's something that feels more universal about childhood. Like we've all had those experiences with whatever was that thing when we were 12 years old. And we don't have to relate specifically to the thing they're into. We understand the way they relate to it. Does that make any sense? Yeah. 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 I, yeah, I think it does. I mean, you know, I, I think um, – one of one of the classes that I teach is a criticizing television class, and it's a gen ed class at Ohio State with um, students who were born mostly in the mid to late 90s. So these are still pretty <laughs> young kids, right? And every every single semester since we started teaching that class, since Stranger Things has come out, when we do this assignment that we call the binge watching assignment, where students have to get together in a group of five and decide on a on a on a show that they're going to present on and then write about individually every single time some group has chosen stranger things um uh, and i want to sign up for the class so. <laughs> yeah me too binge watching uh, yeah i'm in okay <laughs> yeah yeah they love it too they love binge watching assignment that's our midterm yeah they get excited about that um and and they've done great work with Stranger Things every single time. And, you know, I started asking them, well, you know, why are you guys so interested in this? And, you know, the other day I, I kind of asked them again, knowing that we were going to be talking about nostalgia. And some of the things that they talked about were um, the notion that there's like this enjoyment of discovery, that there's a pop culture of the past. And this kind of works out to be like a greatest hits of that era. Um, but, but even the, 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 the films in it and the references that they do know, like E.T., right? So all of them already knew E.T. Um, when they're watching the kids on the bike being chased, right? And Eleven, um, who's the character who can, you know, make things float and make things fly. We all think, oh, is she going to make all the kids on the bikes go up and fly, right? And fly next to the moon or something. And when she doesn't, when she instead flips the van, the the great thing about it for those 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 students who they've seen ET before is they're they're seeing is she going to do the same thing that ET the extraterrestrial does or is she going to do something different? And they kind of get excited about this idea of the the repetition and the illusion but with some kind of a variation. And, and often the way, the way that those variations have, have meaning. So when the students did a presentation about um, sort of visual parallels between older films and then Stranger Things, they had these pictures of, uh, from Firestarter, from Aliens, that pretty much copied exactly the frames from Stranger Things. Um, but they mm -hmm. liked how they could show, you know, there, here's Luke with his hand stretched out trying to move the big you know, train. And then there's, I mean, Luke is trying to move the, the X-Wing fighter. Right. But then 11 in the, mm -hmm. 
in the TV show is trying to move this giant train, but the differences are what makes it meaningful. Is that making sense? Am I catching? Yeah, no, yeah, no. I, I I like that. Just that idea of you, nostalgia creates expectations, but then you play, you set that up, but then you play against it, which makes it something new. So we've moved away from Easter egg hunt into my second category because the first category is definitely Easter egg hunt. You're just supposed to spot. Oh, I recognize that from ET. But you're not talking about. They're not just recognizing things. I'm I'm wondering right. how many of your students actually even saw Firestarter before this, before this assignment, right? They, they, they've probably seen E.T. You pick up E.T. at some point when you're five or six, when your parents say, watch the magic of when I was a child, you know, but, um, <laughs> but, but, but no one's showing their kids Carrie or Firestarter, right. both of which no. are heavily alluded to yeah. in, in that, in that show. No, but I think that's part of the pleasure for them is they go online, they look at that episode and they say, what were all the references? Mm -hmm. And then they go back and watch them, right? So it like opens war to an old popular culture for them. Well, it, and that's what, I, that's what I find interesting about it. It doesn't open the door to the entire popular culture. It opens the door to, this is why I call it the spiritual homage. It's the greatest hits of that time. Right. Mm. Because the, so the thing that's interesting about Stranger Things, and, and Wayne and I talked about this a bit offline, and this is why I think that it's kind of a fiction that we're just sort of, we're just getting this nostalgia age. When I was a kid, one of the biggest shows on television was Happy Days, which is just it, it was the 70s and early 80s. And we were watching this show about the great days in the 50s, which the 50s were just like that. Well, no, they weren't. And the 80s weren't just like Stranger Things mm -hmm. or it. But it is sort of a giving you that vibe. It's like, hey, let's give you this kind of grandiose television simplification of how everybody dressed like the the people on Stranger, other than the main the main characters who are all nerds, mm -hmm. all the other kids in the school are the hippest kids in the 80s ever. <laughs> they all have every 80, like every classic 80s outfit is just wandering around. Uh, like, you know, his older sister, Steve, like they're all, you know, Steve's got his flock of seagulls hair that, you know, only one kid in your, in your high school might've had that, you know, if he was rich, but there's, but everyone's dressed like yeah. that. Everyone's dressed like, you know, you got this Michael Jackson vibe, you know? Right. <laughs> while you're, while you bring up the term greatest hits, I, I'm going to take it to music and tie it in with the happy days thing. I, I mentioned this in comments on the blog because music is my, my other big hobby outside of, of comics. And you, know, there's the nostalgia factor with that. You know, the music you hear when you're 12 or what gets you into music is, is kind of with you for the rest of your life. And I talked about you know, growing up, I, I have a relative. It's it's actually my nephew who's nearly my age. I have a much older brother. And you, in the 70s, when I'm listening to Alice Cooper and Kiss and all this stuff, he bought in completely to Happy Days and American Graffiti. And, you know, all he listened to was Bill Haley and the Comets and Elvis Presley and that sort of thing. And to this day, his interest in pop culture kind of stops around 1961, 62, which is before he was born. So he has nostalgia for something he never actually lived through. And I'm curious about that, that whole, is this just, you know, a, the illusion of a simpler time that was fed to him, to, to all of us through media uh, that appealed to him in some way. Um, I, and, but then on the other end of that, you know, every music is, you know, all music is new to you if you've never heard it before. Um, doing a, the Facebook meme this week about you know, 10 albums that, that were important to you. And I, I posted the cover of Queen's Night at the Opera, which I discovered in 1976 and hugely significant album for me. 
and Queen as a band were a significant part of my entire high school career. I have a friend who's younger than I am who discovered Queen through Bohemian Rhapsody and Wayne's World, and that led her and her friend to go back <laughs> and buy all the Queen albums when they were in high school in the 90s. So she has the same nostalgia for this band that I had nearly 20 years later. Mm-hmm. And, and the difference is I was experiencing it as it came out. She was experiencing it after the fact. But that music for both of us sums up our high school experience. So that goes again to the idea that nostalgia is not a new thing because right. Wayne's World, that was in the 90s. Yeah. And, it, and, and it's entirely them sort of, you know, their favorite artist is Alice Cooper. You know, we're not worthy and all that. Right. Um, they're, and they're listening to Bohemian Rhapsody. They're living in a world where the most important pop culture culture is 70s pop culture because even though they're supposed to be teenagers um mike myers and dana carvey weren't right so they were they basically wrote this movie where the greatest things are these things that were amazing when i was a kid yeah um and so so that's part of it but i think that nostalgia that you're you're talking about so when we're talking about the first thing the easter the easter egg hunt that kind of nostalgia is this i'm looking for this thing that was meaningful to me when i was young this is you know Hey, look at this. But I think the nostalgia of what I'm calling the spiritual homage, my second type type of nostalgia, your Stranger Things, um, your Happy Days, um, what to me was the best movie of last year, of last year Lady Bird, um, one of my favorite films. Lady Bird takes place um, in 2001 and early 2002. It takes place just after September 11th. They refer to it, and it takes and it's that first year. It's not necessarily a time that we feel great about being nostalgic about as Americans in 2018. I forgot what year it was by two years. And I'm not going to edit that. I'm not going to edit that out. I'm just going to stupidly say 2016. So in 2018, we're not necessarily nostalgic for September 11, 2001. But it is the but it is the time it is it, it very much paints that era this was a very different time in american history so it's looking back at that and usually we're looking back at times that we think we think of as being good now the september 11th was so meaningful it's such a I'm going to be very Doctor Who-ish here, but it's such a fixed point in time. It's such a specific, important event (laughs) that we have to that we have to talk about it as sort of a tragic thing. And yet the movie never deals with it that way. The movie, I I don't want to do spoilers of Lady Bird, but the movie of Lady Bird is very much about what it's like to be be a teenager in the post 9-11 world for that that first year of being post 9-11. Um, and it's very much it's it's innocent in a way, and it's also very complicated in a way. Stranger Things is an innocent look at the '80s of them dealing with complicated problems. Happy Days is an innocent look at the '50s. These are the nicest kids in the '50s, but they're dealing with. If you, if you think about what's actually happening in Happy Days, there are subplots about drugs. There are subplots about pregnancy, about teen pregnancy that were unheard of on 1970s television um one of my favorites growing up was the wonder years the wonder years i maintain to this day is a perfect television show about how um you know about how hard it was to grow up basically two years before i was born <laughs> that, that that that's that that's the time period you know I, it's, it's how hard it was to be in junior high in the late 60s early 70s junior high and high school and I wasn't actually there yet but damn it it's the it's the most amazing show and it makes me fondly remember 
the very complicated Vietnam era, the good old days. And it's sort of the point of the Wonder Years. The Wonder Years was a show about the good old days that we look back at. These, you know, these great 60s actually kind of suck. But they're his childhood. And it's and he's right. Fred Savage's character, Kevin, Kevin Arnold's character in the show, is coming of age right at this time, which, you know, for Americans who were actually there is actually a horrible, a horrible time. The very first episode of the Wonder Years, if you've never seen it, I, I will spoil the first episode. The first episode of the Wonder Years is about young Kevin Arnold um, a couple days before school starts, before the new school year, year starts. I think he's going into eighth grade. He might be going into seventh grade. And he has a crush on the girl next door, the girl down the street, Winnie Cooper. And Winnie is, you know, his childhood friend. And basically, they've gotten to an age where, um, when he took off her glasses and he noticed, oh my God, that girl's growing boobs. And so he falls in love with her. That's the, that's the plot of the first episode of the Wonder Years. And it's sort of him crushing on this girl for the first time. And at the same time, Winnie's older brother dies in Vietnam, which is suddenly a, oh, wow, 1969, 1970, whatever year it was, wasn't actually great. There was something really bad happening. And that show sort of confronts the idea that the parts that we remember with these great with this great music and um, the innocence of childhood is just sort of crushed right in the middle of the first episode where this girl, she's 12 or 13 years old and her 12 or 13 year old best friend slash maybe boyfriend, their lives are just crushed and destroyed utterly by the reality that there's this war going on. And what I always say when you're talking about the good old days, you know, our current president, you know, Donald Trump says his, his, his entire slogan is I'm going to make America great again. And what he's doing is he's recalling the 1950s. He's looking back at this time. It was a simpler time where everything was wonderful. Everything was wonderful for Donald Trump in the 1950s because he was four years old and he was rich. Donald Trump was born in 19, was born in 1946. Sure. When, when the 50s ended, he was 14. Yeah, life was great. But the 50s were also a time of massive civil rights struggles. Um, it was a time where, you know, we like, like when, when he's a child, the time that he's being nostalgic for um, the 50s and 60s, we shot a president. <laughs> um, you know, a president, one of the, pre the president, he's the president of the United States. Yeah. One of them died. Yeah. The, the cold war and the Bay of pigs and, 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 Bay of pigs, and yeah, every, the, red the, the world wasn't great. Yeah. Right. But he, you know, the civil rights era where people are turning water hoses on it, but he doesn't remember those because he was a child and he didn't have to deal with it. Either. Isn't he also using, I mean, the make, make America great again was Ronald Reagan's uh, slogan too, right? He didn't have a, he didn't so have a can. I think, I think Reagan was looking. make America, was just make America great or something like that. But he's, yeah, but he's, but he's recalling the, okay. the Reagan era. The okay. Reagan era had Iran Contra. I mean, there was a lot of negative parts that we edit out of yeah. memory. Yeah. Yeah. The AIDS crisis. The AIDS yeah. All crisis. these wonderful things that we look yeah. back at, but we never remember the wonderful parts because that doesn't make us feel good. So there is a, there is a book by, um, by Stephanie Kuntz called the way we never were. And it's a great book. And I'm glad that uh, in our comments on our, on our Facebook page, Angelina Kendra mentioned it and I've read it before. It is a great book that makes the argument among other things that when we're looking at nostalgia, um, Kuntz, Stephanie Kuntz, the woman who wrote it, calls nostalgia a trap. And when we're looking at nostalgia, we we remember the 1950s not as they were. We remember the 1950s as Leave It to Beaver tells us they were. But Leave It to Beaver was a television show about the 1950s that was very sanitized for 
an era that had very strict rules about what could be on television. We and we've sort of washed it, you know, and and we and that's what and that's what we remember. But there were other television shows in the 1950s that were actually more accurate portrayals. They just didn't survive. We remember the part that makes us feel good about ourselves. Um, probably what we remember most about the 70s is Happy Days, which wasn't even a show about the 70s. And yeah, we didn't get that until the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that 70s show. I'm, I'm thinking too, does does your your category for the, the spiritual homage also, like, does it include this sort of the self-reflexive kind of work that then is trying to take the nostalgia that people might have just for the for the like a media nostalgia right and and then the ones that are interrogating that from from the kind of perspective that that gives uh that puts the sort of um, puts that nostalgia into relief. So I'm thinking of, for example, in, in novels, when you were talking about Ready Player One and, and, and the way it sets itself up, I started thinking about um, Juno Diaz's brief, wondrous life uh-huh. of Oscar Wow. And the difference with that book, though, is that he's using this kind of nostalgia, but it's the nostalgia of someone who himself feels othered and has this very complicated relationship with all these texts that that he's reading and it's a it's so it's it ends up being both an interrogation and at the same time a kind of nostalgia um and i'm thinking about like you know thinking about etymologically the the roots of the word nostalgia if nostalgia is like the return home as Mm -hmm. pain then the problem becomes defining well, whose home and whose whose home are you defining, and who's a part of that sort of home in order to feel the pain in the first place? No, I was just going to say, um, I, I think you know, all of our media, and and we are discussing this in the context of of media. So much of it is in conversation with what has gone before. I mean, it, it's hard to listen to any new band without saying, "Oh, they sound like this," unless it's something you know, that's radically, radically different, and and that just doesn't happen very often. Same way with the TV shows and and whatever. There's this constant build, and you, Mav, and I joke about the the superhero shows that are on now, and we remember Manimal. Manimal is great so, you know. <laughs> because Manimal rocked. And if and and if you don't think man, if you saw Manimal and you didn't love Manimal. I will fucking cut you. <laughs> I will fight you. You're listening to the show. Manimal was great. It was it was ahead of its time. I also feel the same way about Cop Rock. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, someone mentioned the idea that you know, until recently, uh, you know, this century, nostalgia was considered a, an illness, a mental illness in many ways. And I wonder how much media has contributed to the change in our, our point of that because, you know, 150 years ago, you couldn't watch old TV shows. I mean, the night the 1830s were just 20 years ago, and and that's it. So people longing for something that was just gone made no no sense uh, within the the context of of their lives. Whereas now we can watch movies from the 1930s. We can keep listening to that music we listened to mm-hmm. when we were 12. So you know, it has has media has media has has the advent of mass media created nostalgia as something other than a mental illness or as it just perpetuating a mass mental illness. Yeah. So the article that you're talking about was forwarded to us by John Dorowski, who was our guest last week. And yeah, it all, it did talk very much about how in the past nostalgia was a disease 
And I think a lot of that has to do when you said mass media, we had ways of recording. We've always had books. We've always right. had you know some sort of record. But the idea of television, the advent of television in the 19, really in the 1940s, but you know, basically in the 1950s is when television starts to really happen. We suddenly have this way of everyone has this magical box in their living room that suddenly just is, it is a window into the past. It is a perfect recording of something that happened before. And a movie is a little different. A movie is that, but a movie you have to go to. A movie is not present 24 hours a day the way that TV is or now the way that the internet is. We have, we have access to nostalgia all the time now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I think that, and that I think is what, you know, it, it allows us to look back at the past. It allows us to be nostalgic but we also treat it like we treat television, we treat the internet like they're the gospel truth. I talked about, you know, we don't remember the thing that we don't remember the bad parts about the past. We sort of edit it out as humans, which is great, or we were too young. But we, but television is just sort of forever. If I, if I, I remember, you know, I, I made my jokes about Manimal, but I remember Manimal vividly. I remember Seinfeld vividly, South Park, mm-hmm. things that I watched as a, as, a, as a child going back. Those are those are present in my memories because real life happened to me one time. But I've seen episodes of Happy Days. There's there's episodes I've seen Fonzie jump that shark a million times. <laughs> <laughs> um, originally on, t- on TV and now just, you know, sometimes you just watch it on YouTube, just n- not even the entire episode. People don't even remember why Fonzie jumped the shark, but you remember that 10 second clip so, of when he actually does. Mm. Well, and the, that idea of nostalgia being a sickness, I, you know, there was that element of homesickness in the past and you were nostalgic for things that were gone. Um, mm-hmm. so so I, you know, I, I guess you know, some of the questions that come into this, you know, what you said, Mav, was um, you, just all this stuff being available. There's a famous article by Patton Oswalt that I caught up while we were talking here from issue in Wired in 2010, I think. And he, mm-hmm. he brings up the idea of what he calls it. it this is the, the uh, acronym EDOWOF, which I'm scanning the article and can't find exactly what it stands for. But it's essentially everything that ever was is always available. So, you know, and he kind of makes this point that, you know, this was my thing when I was a kid and now people can go back and, and watch it. And, and it's, it's a different experience for them watching it now than it was then. But he, he I think he makes a really good point about, you know, it's all there. You know, like I, you know, I guess I grew up watching Scooby-Doo along with everybody of my generation. And if you're five years old, you can see those same episodes someplace on the internet or whatever now that we did then. But even then, I was watching the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner Hour on Saturday mornings, and boy, most of those cartoons had been in movie theaters in the 1940s and 50s, and I had no idea at the time. And you, know, they they were referencing movie stars that I had no idea who these people were. Um, they're dead. Yeah, yeah, right. They're right. Yeah, <laughs> they were gone. Yeah. Um, so there's there's been a certain amount of that as long as we've had this immediate access to, to media. And I think it just becomes stronger and stronger. The more media we have, the more access we have. Well, I mean, do you, do you guys also think that as if, you know, today we have a more and more kind of fractured viewing public where, you know, you can't, it's hard to think of shows 
on TV that all kinds of people from all different kinds of demographics and of different interests, a, a show that everybody's watching. Whereas, you know, in the 1980s, there was that notion of like the television as the cultural forum, right? There's a famous article written mm-hmm. along those lines where the notion was that you had people of different ideological or political stripes, but, you know, with with the limited number, uh, you know, something like All in the Family was a show that most people from different kind of ideological points of view would all be able to talk about as that thing in common. But we don't really have those anymore. Yeah, I, I think there's definitely a, a fracturing of the media we consume. I mean, you know, when I was a kid, there were three channels, two in my household because we lived in a hollow with an antenna and didn't get ABC. But so, you know, it's like, yes, everybody watched Ed Sullivan. Everybody watched MASH or, or whatever, and, unless you, you watch the show that was on one of the other two channels. Now, you know, everybody has YouTube. Everybody's watching something different all the time. And I mean, there's phenomena, certainly, like you know, Stranger Things is a prime example. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, like everybody we know have watched that, but we live in this rarefied era of nerd culture. So maybe not everybody watches that. It just right. seems that way because of the people we know. Well, yeah. When you look at, I mean, again, we're going to be nostalgic. If you're looking at another nostalgic show, um, MASH. MASH ran longer than the Korean by, War by a by lot. years. <laughs> yes. And then the actual then the actual thing that it was being nostalgic for. But... I believe, and I'd have to look it up, and I don't feel like doing it right now, but I believe um, the series finale of MASH is still the most watched episode of a fictional television show of all yeah, time. I, it was it was, it was, was just this cultural moment. You, like, as you said, there were only three channels. There were only three shows that you could be watching at any given time. Um, VCRs started happening, but the idea of DVRing something, the idea of 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 watching something when, you know, on your own time rather than when the programming manager scheduled you to watch it was kind of crazy. Um, if I talk to my, I, I have nieces, um, my, I, I have a niece who's, um, who's seven and I have a niece who was, who's 11. And when I talk to them about watching certain shows, um, they don't really understand the idea that, um, what do you mean you only watch cartoons on Saturdays? Well, Saturdays when cartoons came on. Cartoons are on when I turn them on. <laughs> so, 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 yeah. So it doesn't. I saw the Great Pumpkin once a year right. and once a year only, damn it. <laughs> Is that going to change, right. though? Well, I don't know. Nostalgia. Oh. I don't know because I think they have their own shows. Yeah, I I, I, I wonder about that as well. I mean, and just it, generationally speaking, I, I've thought about my my dad who was who was in his nineties. You know, dad was in in World War Two, and he grew up in the country. He's living on the. I mean, today he's living on the same farm he he was born on. Uh, when he left the farm and came to Pittsburgh to to go to the army and met. Jewish people and, and black people and, and whatever, I, he had no experience of this growing up where he did. They had nothing in common. Yes, there was the radio and maybe they heard the same episode of The Shadow. And there was sort of that general we're Americans, but their experiences, his experience growing up on the farm compared to the experience of someone growing up in Pittsburgh and Squirrel Hill couldn't have been more different. Everybody of my generation can say, hey, remember that time on Scooby-Doo? And we all go, yeah. Right. 
And, and, yep, absolutely. And, 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 now and I think we're at this other extreme of that where, you know, you have the internet in common, you have all this stuff in common, but not everybody is watching the same things in the way they did when I was a kid. And I just, I find that change fascinating. There's a little bit of that. So, uh, so uh, again, I don't have my own kids, so I have to rent them from my siblings and my uh, sibling-in-laws. Um, I, I have a nephew who's uh, five, and he loves Paw Patrol. Paw Patrol is a show that, if you don't have children, makes no sense to you. But anybody who's listening to this who does have young children says, oh, it's oh, going, yeah. oh, yeah, Paw Patrol, we watch that. <laughs> I can send this on um, right now. So, and, and, and what I can gather from that, Chris, is that you, you have children. Right. And Paw Patrol is, Paw Patrol is for, uh, and uh, again, my five-year-old nephew, your your five-year-old son, daughter, um, have never met. But but that is a cultural touchstone for them that they could have a discussion about. Um, and the, and these things exist. I you know, and I and I think this ties in nostalgia. It's a little bit of like last week where we we're talking about the idea of an origin story because we need as for an origin story. If you're not familiar with the cultural thing that you're touching on, you sort of need that to introduce you to the character. I need to know the basics of who Spider-Man is. But if I am a member of the comic book geek subculture. Um, Wayne and I, Wayne works at the comic book store that I, that I shop at, but it, um, but it doesn't matter. I can walk into any comic book store in this, in this country, probably on this planet on a Wednesday. And I can have a discussion about Superman or Batman or Spider-Man. I like they, like that's just enough of the cultural touchstone that I can, I can be guaranteed that anybody in that store on a Wednesday says, Oh yeah, Amazing Fantasy fifteen introduction of Spider Man. There's just these these very basic concepts that we understand, and I don't know about every five year old in this country, but enough of them are going to understand the basics of Paw Patrol. That that is the thing that you know. Will there be nostalgia in twenty years? Of course yeah. there will be because twenty five when at twenty five years old, your son's going to be like, oh yeah, I remember Paw Patrol. I I, I, I watched that when I'm, I was going to reboot that's, that's that and bring it back as a movie. <laughs> But that's that's the question, too, though, is like, is there going to be this sort of interlocking, you know, these general nostalgic things like a Paw Patrol or, you know, honestly, some of the biggest mainstream films like the superheroes? You know, is that what in 25 mm -hmm. years is going to be, you know, the, the, the thing that's the most sort of common nostalgic? But then is is more of our sort of feelings of nostalgia especially related to media, going to end up being a lot more sort of clickish than, than it might have been in the past. And I, I don't know because, so here's the thing. I think, I don't, yes, we have more options now. Uh, again, we, we are all old enough that we remember the days of three television, uh, television stations. But for all my blustering, no one care about Manable but me. I know that. I, under I understand. I understand that I'm weird. And right. and for and for all my love of Manable, um, like okay, maybe maybe I'm not the only person who love who who loves who loves Manable. Maybe one percent of the of the population's like listening to this show, going Manable. Oh yeah, yeah, that was the shit. Um, but of those people, one percent of them are like are with me when I said Cop Rock. <laughs> Cop Rock was a show that no one cared about but me and i maintain to this day it's brilliant i said if pop if cop rock had happened in this century instead of last century when we have a world with csi and law and order and glee people have been like 
musical television show. We, we've got uh, like Glee, like high school musical. And it's a it's a police procedural. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it would be the biggest <laughs> show on the air and it would win the Emmy every year. As long as the main character had animal powers as well. I think you're, you're golden. <laughs> yeah. 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 But but honestly, the show was absolutely ridiculous. It was a show that no one was going to enjoy but me. And I understood that um, I can be nostalgic for it because it was meaningful to, to me. But at that same time that Cop Rock was on, you had, I mean, you're talking about, you're, you're talking about the early 90s. You're, ha- you're talking about an era with your Seinfeld. You're talking about an era with, um, Cop Rock was probably a little before Buffy the Vampire Slayer. These things existed and we are nostalgic for them. And this is sort of bringing me into my third type of nostalgia, the franchise reboot. There are enough things. We don't remember all the television from when we were kids, unless you're a weirdo like me, who's <laughs> like dying for, you know, you know, for to talk about Cop Rock and, and Nightman and Electro Woman and Dino Girl. And then, you know, I, I recommend you get to podcasts where you can actually pretend these things are meaningful. Um, also, being a PhD student is great for this. because, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, but in general, um, in general, nobody cares about these things. I took a class when I was doing my master's on television for the working class in the 1950s. And, you know, there's shows like The Goldbergs and not the one that you're watching now. There was a show called The Goldbergs that was just about some Jewish people living in the city. No one has seen the show. No one remembers the show. People saw it back then because they only had two other options and whatever time thought it was on. But what you remember is you remember Ozzy and Harriet and you remember I Love Lucy because they were better shows. I'm going to throw one in that I talked to my mom about this weekend. There was a short-lived Gunsmoke spinoff in the 1970s called Dirty Sally. It lasted for about a half season. No one remembers that but me. (laughs) (laughs) There was no reason. One of the the other questions I asked um, to my students, you know, what is something recently that's that's sort of re-evoked nostalgia for you? Um, and one of the ones that came up was, mm-hmm. um, the Pokemon go game, um, yes. just a couple years ago. Um, and, and that was one that they just loved because they had grown up with Pokemon go, but then to see it in this, that, that totally new kind of form was, you know, apparently they, a lot of them made reconnected with people who they hadn't, you know, seen or talked to in years through this. And, um, y- y- you know, but again, that's that's one that's so sort of market driven um, that it gets back to some of the things that you were talking about earlier about, you know, it, it's it's entirely disconnected from any kind of real world um, impact. But is that OK? I mean, because oh, yeah, yeah. we're talking about nostalgia and we're saying it's it sort of a roundabout way of getting to this. But I, I, I criticized the Ghostbusters reboot from a couple of years ago. And I was not the one criticizing it because it was all women. I was great about that. The The complaints for Ghostbusters were, the criticism was it either had to be the best movie ever because this is representation for women, or it was the worst movie ever because this destroyed my childhood. And I said, no, it's neither. I like that it was representing women. I didn't. I don't care about my childhood. My question was, why does this movie exist? And if that movie had been called Spirit Hunters and it was about four women hunting spirits, I would have been like, yeah, okay, it was fine. The reason anybody cared about that movie was that it was named Ghostbusters. And so what it was trying to do is it was trying to key into the nostalgia from this thing from when I was a child. And I was like, I don't, you know, you said earlier, Wayne, the television's forever now. You know, we can, you know, movies are forever. I can watch Ghostbusters whenever I want. I don't need a new Ghostbusters when I can just call up the old one. So I didn't care about it. 
And it wasn't good enough to sort of replace yeah. it in my mind. And I felt the same way about the reboot of, of RoboCop. And I don't much care for the reboot of, uh, of of Jurassic Park. Sometimes it can work because Fury Road is so much better than the original Mad Max movies. But then the Transformers movies. The Transformers movies are not good. Sorry, um, Jimmy. And I'm saying that knowing full well that not, that that at some point. Um, Two of my best friends, Jamil and Max, are going. Max is the person who made our theme music. They're going to listen to this and they're going to be like, "No, Transformers is amazing," but they know those movies are bad. <laughs> <laughs> but they love Transformers. They love Transformers. They're you know, Transformers is the part of their childhood. It was never big for me. I had a couple, but it wasn't a big thing part of my childhood. So those movies live and die on the fact that grown men get to go. I get to watch something that I that I held in my hands as a child or now. Well, and 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 it's a it's a thing for the screen. So maybe there will be a Pokemon yeah. movie in twenty thirty five. People are going to drag their six year old kids to this movie I, to help them remember their own childhood, and their kids are going to yeah, go, "Why are I, we watching I, this, Dad?" I'm, I'm going to I'm going to sort of name drop here because we talked about this at at some point in the last week, and he commented on on the blog um, that whole thing that twenty year nostalgia of you know, the thing you're into as a kid, and then in your twenties you're in a position to make this stuff to make the movies, and you know, there was the recent Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie, and uh, a really good friend of mine, David Fielding. Hi, David. Um, was the original Zordon on on the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, and he did that job. He you know it was it was short lived. He he went in. They filmed his face. He did voiceovers, and then he went off and did other things. They continued to use his his face for years and years and years. And he just kind of moved on. He I don't want to say he forgot about it, but you know, he he had a life. He had other jobs. He did other career stuff. And then suddenly, three or four years ago. All these kids who grew up with Zordon and the Power Rangers are in their 20s, and he's now going to shows and signing autographs and getting lines and rooms full of people who are applauding him and hanging on his every word. So he's kind of living in the middle of this nostalgia storm for something that was you know, a two-week job or whatever it was back in 1993. <laughs> if you've never seen the show, Zordon, Zordon's yeah, a yeah, floating I, head. You only yeah, right, yeah. And, and it was like <laughs> it, it was a short lived. I don't know how many days he was in there, but you know, less than two weeks. Um, uh, and the filming took less than that. And 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 he's talked about that. And I I saw it happen first time. First show he did was here in Pittsburgh. It's uh, Takosha Con. It's an anime convention, and through me some of the people knew i knew him and he came in and he was a little hesitant and and he sat in a room of like say like 300 kids who were cheering and shouting his name and like he's standing at our booth i was there as a retailer and he's standing at our booth just talking to me and i see this kid about 20 just kind of glance up and see him and then just kind of lose his freaking mind like oh my god i'm standing <laughs> with the word on and and you know, and like to me, it's David who you know, like I've seen him throw up. You know, <laughs> so, sorry, David. Uh, sorry, all the fans of Zordon. You know, it's. Uh, but but he, you know, he has his whole second career based on something he did for two weeks in 1993, and it's entirely based on people who grew up watching that show for years and and are connected to this character and feel connected to this. And and I, you know, I, just, I find that whole phenomena really kind of fascinating. I guess, you know, and, and I've completely lost track of where we are time-wise with, with this episode, but I guess trying to, to bring it around to some, some closing statements, um, I guess one of the questions of all of this is, does an over-reliance on nostalgia prevent the creation of genuinely new material. Maybe, but I don't know if it does. And, and I, I don't know that it matters. <laughs> well, yeah. It's been argued that there are only seven stories that just get repeated over and over again with subtle modifications. 
I don't know if I totally believe that, but I don't know that I totally don't either. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's necessarily not creative to build something out of nostalgia. I think there is an art to using it. I think that um, sometimes it fails. Again, I didn't care for the Transformers movies, but I will say that I agree they did something. And I think that you can do you can do things. Yeah. With nostalgia, like um, the one that I would like to point out, and this is like sort of a prime example, Star Wars. Star Wars is about nostalgia. When we watch the prequels, people our age, people of a certain age hated those movies. And for one thing, they're not very good. Um, That's one problem with it. But also they hated Jar Jar because Jar Jar is annoying as fuck. That. That's what he is. He is annoying. He is there to sell toys to little children and he irritates me and he's taking up valuable space in my Star War. And that's that's awesome for me to hate it because I was a grown man. But then I realized the first time I saw Star Wars, I was like two and 3PO is just as annoying as, as Jar Jar. But I can love I can love 3PO because 3PO sung to me as a child. And now I look at something like The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi and they have those aspects again. You know, Porgs are only, oh, why is these Porgs here? They're only here to sell toys. And, and they are. The Porgs are there to sell toys. But that's part of what Star Wars is. And the reason I'm watching Star Wars is, frankly, like I could just watch a new movie. There are new movies every week. Um, so people are making new things. But Star Wars connects me with this time in the 70s where I was a small child where I can look back and I can say, oh, that thing is still going on and everybody loves this. It's this cultural touchstone. What what becomes problematic is when you have when you when you lean into the nostalgia too hard, you end up with people complaining. Force Awakens is just a redo of A New Hope. It is it's it's essentially the same movie. The same beats are hit and people get irritated. So you go the other way and you make Last Jedi and people cry. (laughs) It's like, oh, you burned down everything. You've destroyed my entire childhood. And I don't know that there's a happy medium. Mm -hmm. I think they're there. But I think those are both good movies. Mm -hmm. I think J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson have both created something in the nostalgia world which sort of showed some creativity. They had differing viewpoints. They took the they took the material in different ways, but they created something out of nostalgia. And yet they're both competent filmmakers who've made other movies that aren't that aren't part of that universe. You know, mm-hmm. JJ's made a lot of movies that are aren't aren't part of that universe. Some of that were very successful. Um, Ryan's made a few. And I, I think that I think that you can do yeah, new stuff. I, I think people do get so caught up in their nostalgia, that the thing they love. I, I encounter this in, in the comics world, the, the comic store retail every day. I, I see this as being fans of music. There's that thing that, that you loved when you were twelve and 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 no comic since then has been any good and this is all crap these days. And why can't comics be like they used to? And the thing is you wouldn't buy the new comics if they were done like that now what you love is that thing you love then and i think what you're saying when all you know if you just fully fully believe that it's it's all crap now is what you're wanting what you're really saying is i'm not 12 anymore um and i think that distresses people and and it comes out as anger against this thing that they once loved and it's no longer the thing they once loved and they they don't recognize it so the reason you want a reboot of the television show roseanne is that you loved the show roseanne in the 90s and you want to be brought back to that time you want to be brought back to that simpler time that might not have existed it's why we get nostalgic it's reminding us of this childhood 
And the reason people get upset is the, the Roseanne is very controversial this week because um, if you've not seen the show in the rebooted Roseanne, uh, they're now Trump supporters. Um, the main character, the the fictional Roseanne and the fictional Dan are Trump supporters. Um, and then the fictional Jackie, her sister, is a Hillary Clinton supporter. And that's where a lot of the drama came from. And a lot of think pieces have been written on the internet about how, oh, we shouldn't watch this show because we don't need to support the, you know, we don't need to support the deplorables or whatever. I have a different take on it. I think that if you want the Roseanne that you grew up with or that you were a young adult with in, in my case, but if you want that character, that's still there. If you try to do exactly that show again, you get Fuller House, right. which is fine. I mean, I, like, I, I actually enjoy the show Fuller House. I think it's corny, but I've watched it on Netflix and it's, it's exactly the show as the other one. And it seems very dated. It doesn't seem like they're dealing with a 2018 world. It seems like they're dealing with a 90s world. The Roseanne show, Bill Clinton's not president anymore. Donald Trump is. So they needed to deal with Donald Trump issues. And that's how they do that. So I think you can create it. The question is, what does your media, what is the point of the media that you're watching? Are you looking for something that's comforting you and taking you back to this time when you were a child or this time when you were younger or this time we talked about being nostalgic for an age when when you weren't even born? Um, do you want to love the beauty of the 70s when you were born in the 80s or you know the 60s, 50s when you were born in the 70s? Or are you looking to deconstruct, um, you know, complicate the age that you're in. And I don't know that one's better than the other. I think they both have their place. I, yeah, I, I agree with that. I, it's depending on what you want. And there's stuff, you know, music, comics, whatever that I'm incredibly nostalgic for. I'm still listening to Alice Cooper and Kiss and, you know, the opening guitar riff of Rebel Rebel still makes me 12 years old again. Uh, but I'm also always looking for, for the new stuff. You know, I, I, and, and a lot of the new stuff I like reminds me of that old stuff, but it, it helps me think about that old stuff in different ways it helps me deconstruct the, the things i do like so i think yeah there's a, there's a place for both i you know we all want to be comforted and and there's nothing wrong with watching an episode of scooby-doo or or cop rock or whatever to to feel comforted and i'm, I'm trying to think of some shows that that sort of try to have that cake and eat it too um I, and i agree with everything you guys are are saying i i think fresh off the boat comes to mind or or blackish oh, yeah, comes great. to mind um, especially certain mm -hmm. episodes of, of Blackish. Um, that's one of the shows that we do in the Criticizing TV class too. We watch a couple of episodes of um, Cosby Show, and then we watch that Johnson's episode, the one that looks back at the Cosby Show. Um, and we talk a lot about mm -hmm. you know the, the sort of representational dynamics that are going on there, and how the show is both trying to give you that comfort, but at the same time deconstruct what was happening in the Cosby show and then recontextualizing it in today in a really, you know, kind of reflexive manner that, that I, I find really satisfying. A question I have for you, Chris, before you bring it up to them, do your students realize that Blackish is a nostalgic show? Blackish takes place in the current day. It's not connected directly to anything. So if you aren't thinking about it, it might seem innovative. But if you actually critically look at it, it's exactly referencing the Cosby show. It is a redo of the Cosby show trying to sort of reconstruct that that world but also update it for a different cultural moment. And do they see I, I, that before it's you one tell that them? As they're watching it, they definitely get because the, the show directly talks about the Cosby show in the first scene, right? That episode, 
for example, brings mm-hmm. it up. So I think there is something about a, a show like Blackish, or I think Stranger Things to, is is a good example too, where it is ex- explicitly calling attention to the things that it's referring to. And, and so, you know, it's one that I can then have a dialogue with them and tell them that I am actually within a year of the age of the kids who are in the party in Stranger Things, right? That's my age, almost exactly. And then we start to have a dialogue about the things in the 80s, but then we start to talk about those those other films, et cetera, et cetera. But they're they're definitely already aware of it. When we watch the you know the the Johnsons episode of Blackish, I don't know if every episode calls you know attention to itself for them in that way, um, because some of them are more subtle in their allusions and references and 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 that sort of thing. And I might not be catching you know half of them too. But an episode like like the Johnsons of Blackish is so explicit about it and explicit about wanting you to enter into that dialogue with the show that, yeah, I think they cut, they catch on to it pretty quickly. You, you were the age of those kids. I'm the age of the younger kid from the dazed and confused movie. <laughs> the, the freshman who is running around in the cars that, that movie touched way, way too many real life. Things. Well, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm still thinking about, um, one thing, one film that came up for me as we've been talking is, um, last action hero. Um, you guys remember yes. this? Yes. Yes. I, I, I totally love that mm-hmm. movie. Um, and that came out when I was, I guess in my twenties, if I'm remembering right, but it was looking back at all these films that I had watched and, and, and sort of deconstructing all of those. And, and there's that great set of scenes at the end of the film. And I hope this can't be too much of a spoiler, but we end up coming out of the fictional world that we've been in into the real world. And so it sets up that dichotomy that was speaking to, you know, the, the, the fictional world speaking to the real world and kind of making these comparisons in, in pretty interesting ways. And that's another example of where the protagonist in that film, the, there's a, it's a young kid who is in love with movies, much like I was in love with movies and probably the same mm-hmm. age as that kid was. But I'm looking at this kid mm-hmm. who would have been the age I was when I was watching the movies that he was watching being parodied. And like it, it called me into it in, in really interesting ways that maybe Blackish is doing for these kids too. And that's like me, me loving the Wonder Years. I, I, when Wonder Years was out, I was exactly their age. You know, um, if you, if you, if you were born in 1974, like me, you, you're in love with Winnie Cooper. <laughs> I don't care who you are. You need to be in love with Winnie Cooper because she was perfect. And when, and when her brother died on that first episode, she, she needed a hug. You know, it was 1988. Um, so I was 14. So I might've been like a year older than they were, but when their world sort of stopped and they stopped being innocent and they sort of, and they suddenly go, Oh, there's real world consequences in life. How do we deal with this? That's something that I'm going through at that age. So I think that there's, you know, yes, it's nostalgic, and it maybe points to the fact that these are these are children living in the '60s. I'm living in the '80s, so maybe these yeah. are universal problems. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, I, I I was a freshman in high school the year Welcome Back Cotter started, and those kids were all freshmen in high school, except they were 37 years old. <laughs> <laughs> 
Obviously. Movie magic. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's, again, that's what, and that's what Ready Player One is. And, and again, I, I don't want to sound like I'm being hard on it. I enjoyed it. What was, what was neat about Ready Player One was watching it. And, you know, I'm, I'm writing movie reviews, so I'm trying to watch it critically. But I spent so much time going, oh, oh, it's the thing. It's, it's, it's that thing there, <laughs> you know. And, and that's kind of, there's a fun to that. Because, again, it does return you to, okay, so here's a completely non-spoiler thing that is irrelevant to the plot in every way, shape, or form. They walk into, essentially, the video game lobby of that world they're 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 wandering around as their avatars in the virtual world and in the bottom left hand corner of the screen marvin the martian walks by <laughs> from bug bunny and i was and 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 i mean i'm watching this like I, I went to a late showing so it was probably it was like the 11 o'clock showing it wasn't packed and i and it was all i could do to not yell out yes marvin the martian because <laughs> to me to me, that was great, and and I, and my brother told me he he went and he took my nephews um, to go see it, and so he's watching it with um with uh, a ten year old and a five year old, and they're loving what they can see. So that so the fun of that movie is just you know, dad, my brother, going, oh, how do you know? Ninja Turtles, which, you know, the five-year-olds, of course I know Ninja Turtles, you know, <laughs> like, like they're, they're sort of, that's the cultural touchstone that, you know, we said, can we connect? Well, some of these things are universal. Now, the Ninja Turtles that you get in 2018 look a little different than the Ninja Turtles that, you know, my brother got in 1992, but they're still Ninja Turtles. And uh, Marcus, my brother, he loved that show when he was a kid. And now, you know, his son loves a different version of it. I think we should have uh, we should have just done this entire episode rather than actually trying to talk about any theory. Part of me just wishes we just sat there and just <laughs> named shows that we love. <laughs> and we did, and we did a lot of movies. That. We, we did a lot of that. So we're probably way over time. <laughs> we, we should probably wrap this up. This is a lot of fun. We should probably wrap this up because everybody's stopped listening by now. And we've been talking so long, I'm getting nostalgia for the beginning of the conversation. <laughs> Well, I think that, but I, I think, you know, that's one of the things about, yeah, nostalgia is, you know, you know, part of it is just, can you beat this horse to death and still enjoy it? <laughs> and, and, and like, maybe we have, maybe we haven't. Um, Chris, well, I want to thank you for coming thank on the show Thank you guys with us. so much for having yeah, me. I really Chris. appreciate you asking Any me time. I, was like, I, hope you, I hope you come back. Do you have anything to promote? Twitter or Facebook um, that people can follow you on? My dissertation. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've got a I've got a, a little film of my own that's um, going to be showing um, this next Friday in Columbus. The Columbus Moving Image Art Review. I'll have a um, it's a multi-panel video project that moves from something that appears to be a comic, and you can read it as a comic, and then each of the frames starts to move. And then each takes off in kind of its own direction. And within a minute and a half, because it's only a minute and a half, um, they all come back to a comic sort of panel form. And then it's it's meant to be rewatched again and again and again. So I'm kind of playing with comics form and Neat. video form together. Very cool. I kind of yeah. want to go to Columbus and see that. That's, <laughs> that actually sounds awesome. <laughs> we'll, we'll link to it and 
the show notes below. Um, but I want to thank Wayne yep. for being here as always. Thanks, Matt. You can follow, you can follow us on Twitter. The show's Twitter is at Vox Popcast, V-O-X-P-O-P-C-A-S-T, pop, not pod, because we are cool <laughs> like that. And, um, um, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash, uh, slash Vox Popcast again. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris Maverick. You can follow Wayne. Wayne underscore wise. And um, I want to thank everybody for listening. If you come back next week, we're going to have, or we'll be adding our other co-host, Katya, who will be discussing video games and violence. So I hope everyone comes back. Follow the blog, follow the Twitter, comment on on the website about whatever topics that we have. And if you have suggestions, let us know. And we will see you all next time. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>